We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Stender, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. To share your thoughts about this podcast or others, please visit facebook.com slash jcastnetwork. Toward the end of Parshat Noah, we encounter an intriguing but perplexing story. After the flood, Noah's descendants multiplied and began to settle in the land of Shinar, otherwise known as Babylon. There, they decide to build a great city with a tall tower. God sees what the people are building and becomes upset over the tower. So God confounds the people's speech, rendering them unable to communicate with each other, and scatters them across the earth. What was so bad about a bunch of people trying to build a tower? Many of the classical commentators understood this passage as an allegory of human hubris. Perhaps when the people state that they want to build a tower that reaches to heaven, they were implying that they desired to reach the realm of the divine, or to become godlike, or perhaps even to challenge God's sovereignty. Their arrogance required God to put them in their place. I've always found that interpretation deeply unsatisfying. Building, in a, building a tower in an attempt to become godlike may be folly, but it hardly seems criminal or even immoral. The narrative begs a crucial question. Is it possible for human beings to literally build a stairway to heaven or to become like gods or to wage war against God? Interestingly, God's rationale for punishing the people and stopping them from finishing the tower is... If this is how they have begun to act, then nothing that they may propose to do will be out of their reach. Does God really feel threatened by humanity? Does God really mean that literally anything is possible for we human beings, including physically entering heaven, attaining godlike status, assuming godlike powers, or successfully waging war against God? That if we put our minds to it and work really, really hard at it, we too can literally become gods? Most of us, I imagine, know enough about the Bible and Jewish tradition to presume that the answer to those questions must be no. But if those actions are impossible, then God's response in this story seems both strange and harsh. Why does the building of the tower so anger God? And what does God mean when God says that nothing that human beings may propose to do will be out of their reach? Why punish the people, rather than, say, teaching them the error of their ways? And why choose the specific punishments of confusing their speech and scattering them across the world? Let's look closely for a moment at the whole narrative. It begins like this. And so it was that everyone on earth had the same language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn 
them hard. Brick served them as stone, and bitumen served them as mortar. And they said, Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the sky to make a name for ourselves, else we shall be scattered all over the world. The Lord came down to look at the city and tower that man had built. And the Lord said, If as one people with one language for all, this is how they have begun to act, then nothing that they may propose to do will be out of their reach. Let us then go down and confound their speech there, so that they shall not understand one another's speech. Thus the Lord scattered them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confounded the speech of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The first piece of information that the text gives us is that everyone on earth had the same language and the same words. This is important. After all, God justifies punishing them for building the tower because they are one people with one language for all. A reality that apparently makes it possible for the people to do just about anything they desire. And of course, the punishment that God chooses confounding them linguistically and scattering them geographically, is directly connected to that initial fact. The terminology used here, though, is interesting. Why does the Torah need to say both that the people had the same language and that they had the same words? The rabbinic tradition frequently notes that typically the Torah is a terse document. It tries to say what it needs to say in as few words as possible. So when the Torah uses two words in a verse, when it could have just as easily used one to express the same sentiment, it must be making a different point with each phrase. According to Rashi, the same language refers to Lashon Kodesh, the holy tongue, Hebrew. And the same words means that the people held the same beliefs. In other words, not only did they speak the same language, they used that language to arrive at a uniformity of thought and opinion. When God expresses fear over what humanity could accomplish when everyone had the same language, we should understand God's concern to be more directly about the dangers inherent in a universal language. Namely, that a common language can lead inexorably and irredeemably to common beliefs. A major problem with commonly held beliefs is that they are often wrong. Consider this. According to Jewish law, if the judges in a capital case unanimously find a defendant guilty, then the defendant must be acquitted. I'm going to say that again. If the judges in a capital case unanimously find a defendant guilty, then the defendant must be acquitted. At first blush, this seems counterintuitive. In our own judicial system, it is required that there is unanimity in order to convict in a capital case. And yet, the rabbis of the Talmud observe that unanimous agreement often indicated the presence of some systemic error in the judicial process. They didn't always know what the error was. Perhaps a prestigious and respected judge had some sort of unconscious bias about the defendant that caused him to misinterpret the facts. 
but given his status, his colleagues were more readily influenced by his opinion. But they intuitively, that's one possibility, but they intuitively reasoned that when someone, when something seems too good to be true, it most likely is. It's somewhat paradoxical, I know, but it turns out that the things that everyone knows are true more often than not turn out to be false. Whereas when some people believe something but not others, there's a higher probability that one of the divergent groups will be correct. This is a meaningful point when it comes to the Tower of Babel story. Because, and let's be honest here, the beliefs that everyone in that story agreed upon were nonsensical. According to Rashi, the people either universally agreed that they should wage war on God, or that they should build some kind of scaffolding that would prevent another flood. The Midrash adds that the people's desire to make a name for ourselves and to avoid being scattered all over the world were rooted in the same anxiety. That they wanted to build the tower to challenge God so that they would not so that God would not destroy them as God had destroyed the generation of the flood. As Professor Frink says in The Simpsons, these ideas are so ridiculous they make me want to laugh out loud and chortle. <laughs> But the fact that universally held opinions are often wrong doesn't inherently make them morally problematic. The larger problem is that when something is unanimously agreed upon, people become extremely reticent to change their minds. When people are certain about something and feel emboldened in their certainty about their belief because everyone thinks similarly, they become all the more willing to harm themselves or others, indeed to kill or to be killed, for their beliefs. This, according to legend, is precisely what happened with the Tower of Babel, and why it elicited such a forceful response from God. One Midrash holds that the people were so passionate about building the Tower, so convinced were they of its utter necessity, that they paid no mind if a worker on the Tower fell to his death. Whereas, if a brick fell, they would wail and mourn and lament, and lament the setback. The people's conviction of the justness of their cause, aided and abetted by the universality of their belief, diminished their humanity and their concern for the welfare of their fellow human beings. This, I think, is part of God's problem with the building of the Tower of Babel. It's not simply that the people's rationale for building it was foolish. It's that universally held beliefs, however foolish they may be, can result in monstrously immoral behavior. And there's yet a deeper danger lurking in uniform belief. If people can convince each other of nonsense, like the need to build scaffolding that will prevent the sky from falling, or the plausibility of physically attacking and defeating God, then there's literally nothing that people couldn't be convinced of, not only no matter how wrong, but also how dangerous. That's where the relationship between uniform language and uniform belief factors in, and why God panics when God observes the, the people building the tower. Recall that when God sees the building, God says, if as one people with one language for all, this is how they have begun to act, then nothing that they may propose to do will be out of their reach. The Hebrew word for propose here is yasmu, which is a revealing word choice. 
Yasmu is better translated as they may conspire, as in the Adim Zomamim, the conspiratorial witnesses of Deuteronomy chapter 19, who conspire with each other to give false testimony that will result in the conviction of an innocent person. God's concern then is not merely that with the ease of communication people could convince each other of nonsense. To put it back in the language of the text, it's as if, it's that if, as one people with one language for all, this is how they have begun to act, then there is literally nothing, no matter how dangerous, that people couldn't conspire to convince each other of. When dangerous ideas are universally agreed upon, they can become extraordinarily deadly. God's response to scatter the people and cause them to speak different languages is then less a punishment than a course correction. God observes that the dangers inherent in uniform thinking, seeing how groupthink can yield not only wrong-headed but harmful ideas, and can cause people to abandon their compassion and fealty to their beliefs, and reasons that by making interpersonal communication harder, both through language and proximity, uniformity of thought could be diminished. God does not want us all to think or to be alike. God made every human being different for a reason, to encourage freedom and independence of thought. We're called to be skeptics, to challenge commonly held ideas, to resist orthodoxies, to generate new concepts and theories, to smash sacred cows. We're urged not to blindly follow the crowd or to acquiesce in our thinking simply because everyone else believes differently. We're challenged to not avoid ideological conflict or controversy in order to maintain some superficial standard of civility or long-standing courtesies, despite what is being argued today in some quarters, just as it was in the eras of abolitionism or women's suffrage and civil rights. We're beckoned by our tradition to seek truth and to advance justice, even if it makes us unpopular. This is even true of our most deeply cherished beliefs. Remember that according to the Midrash, the language the people all spoke before the Tower of Babel was Hebrew, and that language is both an aspect of culture and a vessel for cultural norms and values. In other words, before the Tower of Babel, Everyone was a Hebrew. Given the fact that the Torah and the Jewish tradition generally think that the Torah and Jewish tradition are pretty swell, given the fact that we Jews like to see ourselves as having a special relationship with God, wouldn't you expect to see the Torah express a desire for everyone to be Jewish? And yet, here, in the Tower of Babel story, we see God confronting that very possibility, and instead choosing to institute diversity. God made us different because God wants us to be different and rejoices in the diversity of belief, thought, and culture in our world. Indeed, as the Mishnah puts it, human diversity is a reflection of God's greatness. For when a human ruler mints coins, all the coins come out from the mold identical to one another. But not so with God. God created a mold in the first human beings, Adam and Eve. But when more human beings were created from that original mold, 
no two came out the same. In our lives, we constantly face pressures to think and act like everyone else. As the world shrinks through modern communication technologies, and it becomes increasingly easy to communicate with one another across linguistic and geographic divides, it makes these pressures even stronger. But our Parsha today reminds us that we must always beware of the towers that popular opinion can lure us to build. And the bigger the climb, the harder the fall.